All right, everything EOS fans, it is Evan Schindler. You're not used to seeing me give the intro on the show, but this week I am with Zach Gall. We're in my studio, so we're doing his show, but my studio. We got the guys from Equilibrium here with us as well, so we're excited. A little bit of a change up. Zach, mm-hmm. how's it going? Guys, I'm how's good, it going? Like, like the intro there. I, I think uh, we should go around the table here. So th- this show concept, whenever we discussed this, we, we kind of planned this last week. Uh, I met Alex in San Francisco for the EOS World Expo. And that, that was, I think, whenever you guys announced Equilibrium publicly for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I was, it's the first time I heard of it, which is crazy because I usually hear about product mm. projects before they come out. Mm. Right. Um, but then we, we saw you last week at B1 mm. June and you were telling me about this trip you're, you've been on. And we're kind of going to talk about that in a little bit. But um, you made your way to Pittsburgh, and we needed a, a place to record. And Evan, uh, he want to introduce yourself and Leobi and what you do? Sure. Well, I, I, I've offered up my studio here. You guys complimented me on it. I felt really good it. about it. This is, this is Man Cave 101. <laughs> yeah, I like to you know have a different taste of culture, East and West. Um, Very appropriate. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, and, and I'm glad that we're going to dive into that. You guys yeah. were yeah, in yeah, China. Yeah. You work with Chinese companies. Yeah. So... Um, I you might have seen me on everything else before. I don't know. I know Alex. We met in uh, DC. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we got to talking about some some yeah. some tea, some Chinese tea. But mm-hmm. uh, right. I actually in the EO space work with a company called Dabiness that Zach and I. Uh, Zach's a, a partner of mine with that, and we do EO smart contract dev work for a bunch of companies. So mm-hmm. that's what qualifies me to be in the conversation. But I, mm-hmm. I try to just be like the. The comic relief when I'm around such powerful minds. As, we're, as, we're also as both here. from the Finch of, or the tree of Rob Finch. The tree of Rob <laughs> so Finch. Yeah, we, we we all worked together previously at uh, ICO Alert. Um, so we we have that relationship also, and that's kind of how we all. You were doing podcastings before you got in. Well, yeah, like way before that. I, yeah, I just started doing this stuff while working at ICO Alert. But uh, you guys are our guests. You're here in Pittsburgh. You went out of your way. You traveled all the way from California, but you, your travel kind of started before that. Why don't you guys introduce uh, yourselves? Yeah. Thank you guys for having us here. It's a real pleasure. Uh, it was definitely great to catch up in D.C., in California uh, before. So, yeah, finally we're here in Pittsburgh uh, on the Everything Years podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so uh, a few words about myself. Uh, I'm uh, the CEO of Equilibrium, and along with being CEO of Equilibrium, I'm also the co-founder of Changely. Uh, it's, uh, I guess, uh, along with Shapeshift, one of the biggest exchanger on the market. Uh, today's I'm here with uh, Chief Counsel of Equilibrium, uh, Josh Godbody. Yeah, so maybe you say... Cool, yeah, yeah, thanks. Uh, good to be here. Um, my name's Josh Goodbody. I'm as Alex mentioned, the chief counsel uh, for Equilibrium. I think between the two of us, I'm the boring one, being a lawyer. Um, he's the technical genius. I'm the boring lawyer. Um, so my background is in financial markets. I've been a, a derivatives lawyer um, and have done my time in purgatory at places like BNP Paribas, JP Morgan, mm. Credit Suisse. I've the paid, dark side. I've been in the dark side, but mm. I have come into the light now. So I, um, I'm the chief counsel for Equilibrium. Um, with one of my hats, my second hat that I wear um, is as the um, global chief counsel or general counsel for Huobi Global. Huobi. Huobi. You may Ooh. have heard of them. Huobi. <laughs> I, I think um, like with the block producer shakeup lately, um, I think there's a disconnect in communication. People in the 
like English speaking Western world yeah. don't mm. really understand what's going on in Asia. They just sure. see all these block producers they've never heard of. Absolutely. But at the same time, mm. maybe on that side, they don't know what, what everyone here is doing. Yes. So mm. I, we kind of talked a little bit before we started recording yeah. about some of the ongoing developments there and how, how impressive their work actually is over there. Yeah, mm. it's, it's fascinating in, in the sense that, as you say, there's this, this kind of communication disconnect between what we're doing here and what they're doing over there. And, you know, bridging that is a challenge sometimes. But things like the Block Producer Summit we were at recently, we had a large Chinese contingent. And seeing that here, I think, is awesome because they're mm -hmm. taking the time out to come here and say, hey, this is what we're doing. Um, but as a general, maybe stepping back into, into what China are doing at the moment, I spend a lot of time there um, for Huabi. And I get quite involved in the kind of event space and, and getting involved in incubators and seeing what's happening there. And what I can really see is this this kind of thinking that is very much derived around the WeChat model. WeChat is everything in one. It allows you to pay, chat, pay your bills, order food. So you have this micro app culture within WeChat. So there's an entire mm. economy built around building mini apps for WeChat. So that is a very small leap into the dApps world mm -hmm. in the EOS space. And so Every time I'm over there, and you were there more recently than me, but mm. every time I'm over there and I go and see the, the range and the, the scale of dApps that are being produced on EOS, mm -hmm. I think, wow, okay, it makes perfect sense because you were doing this for years mm. in the WeChat space or in the Alipay space. So that whole mini app culture is something they get really, really well. And they're trying to bring that over here. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. So basically, I'm the least cultured one in this room. Uh, <laughs> Evan's been to China multiple times. Yeah. Alex just came back from China or came to the United States directly from China. You've right. been to China. Yeah, yeah. So you've told me about this before, uh, about this. We, I, I know what WeChat is, but about how they're so cashless there already. Yep. You, you yeah, used it, the example of a homeless person with a QR code. Yeah. Mm. In, in many ways, mm. they're, they're ahead of the U.S., uh, especially with payments and like the micro apps that you're talking about. There's actually lanes on the sidewalk for people to walk in that are looking at their phones because they're so glued to it that they don't want people bumping into each other. And yeah, so, uh, and I come from a, a payments background, retail payments, um, you know, NFC and, mm. and EMV technology. Um, and that was one of the hardest markets to even try to get into because they skipped straight from cash never really adopted cards. I mean, you've got union pay and they do a decent amount of volume, but, mm. um, the, the, the QR payments really caught on there. And it really, yeah. you know, when I started getting into crypto and into blockchain, that was one of the first things I thought of just having been in payments in a previous life. I thought, man, as soon as they figure out how to get blockchain payments onto this QR system, you can cut out so many middlemen yeah. and, and all yeah. these networks and all these processes mm. that are just, taking a fee to, yes. to do this, you know, old style system of payments. So yes. they're way ahead of us. With WeChat, though, is WeChat taking as big of fees as like an Apple store that's taking like a 30 or 40 percent cut of all payments? No, 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 no super low. No. So, so mm. affordable to the point where, you know, you might pick up some freshly cut fruit on the street in a market in Beijing or anywhere mm. and you'll pay for it using your WeChat payment. And mm. I think it's verging on frictionless, i.e. you would not notice the amount that really is mm. coming out of your account. Yeah, it would yeah. be a merchant. The merchant would be the one that was paying yeah. for it. Yeah, and yeah, it really appears free, amount. as yes, far as I know. It is, yeah. So um, it is, as far it, as like going from like zero to one, you're, you're saying from there, it's like the users won't even notice a difference because they're already scanning things with their phone and paying that way. It's right, really right. back-end infrastructure that'd be different. Completely. Yeah, Whereas yeah. here, people are used to just swiping cards. Yeah, yeah. 
Yep. IP- like even we have Apple Pay and like Android. Pay nobody wants to nobody, adopt nobody, it. Nobody uses it, even though That's it's available it. at like yeah. most retailers. Yeah, I should, I should, I should, I should mention that uh, I've been to China like for two two weeks, uh, past months. I couldn't buy anything in supermarket with the cards. Yeah. I, I, it, they have no. No terminals for doing that. Yeah. Only WeChat, only QR codes, and you can do that only having a uh, Chinese bank account. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's and that's a, a challenge. That's a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's a challenge. So, well, and if you want to use cash, forget it, because some of them go, "No, we don't want cash." Or if you try and give a cab driver cash, they go, "WeChat." Uh, no, <laughs> it's not working. And they go AliPay, and you go, uh, "No, I don't have AliPay." So, so you have to force cash on how, them. How do you, how do Westerners? Get around. Uh, I, 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 used, I used ATMs, man. Mm-hmm. I, I cashed out and you used, used just, you know, physical cash. That's it. <laughs> did you, did you take the trains around or were you flying mostly? Uh, no, no, I was uh, most, mostly flying. Mostly flying. Mostly and I'm flying, guessing yeah. you had to have been someone with someone that was Chinese, I'd hope. Or were you by yourself or? Yeah. Yourself? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yourself? Really? Yourself? Yeah, wow, yeah, that's yeah. impressive. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. I would. I mean, I've been there a few times, and I speak enough to not get lost. But even I, I don't think I would go. Wow. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, you easily can can get lost in China because yeah. you know Google Maps doesn't work. Uh, actually, you, you you and even locations there mostly are all, all incorrect, but mm. all, everything in Chinese, everything in Chinese. Mm. So if you if you type in some you know address in in English, it can't be wrong. So, mm. so you, you arrive at a wrong destination. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but you easily can, can use some translation app to translate to, to people. What do you actually mean? So, so I guess while we're on the topic, what were you doing in China? Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, as, as I mentioned, I spent there two weeks. Uh, I was, I was really impressed with the amount of people who are involved with US space, particularly. So, uh, we, we, we were literally floating between offices in Shenzhen from one meeting to another. We actually, uh, I, I think, I think we, uh, we had like six up to ten, 10 meetings a day with the uh, dude, wow. dude with different guys in, in Shenzhen. So, f- for instance, like we, we were floating between meeting uh, with Token Pockets. Uh, it's uh, the largest, uh, I guess, wallets in China uh, uh, with respect specifically for, for US space, uh, US Park, um, US, US space, US Shenzhen. All the, all these guys, they, they hope we had a meetings in person. So, and, uh, we've, we've done a lot of connections there, by the way. So I, I actually, I actually visited, uh, Shenzhen and Beijing within this trip. So, yeah, so. Like, tell, tell us about these blog producers out there, because for a lot of our audience, the, they're foreign to them. I mean, literally and figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> so like, what, what did you learn from being there? Like, what are they working on? Like, how, how did they kind of, envision the eos io ecosystem compared mm. to conversations you have mm. with europeans or mm. you know, uh, North so, so they're doing a lot of work there in china with the, with the community they're hosting a lot of a lot of meetups uh, they're getting together uh, also they uh, they they all they all are into into development of dApps. So mm. every 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 block producer is doing something, uh, some application, some I don't know wallets or anything. So they they're very deep in in tech side, tech tech technical side of things. Um, yeah. So. So you spent a couple uh, weeks in China. Yeah, I spent. Then straight to DC. You came to our Everything US event on, on Friday, and then you did the B one June on Saturday, and then you probably left Sunday or Monday. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we left, we left like uh, on Monday to, so, San to, to San Francisco. Another yeah. US event. A lot of people made that trip though. So a lot of EOS people went straight from DC to San Francisco. Mm. I, I would say I would say that a lot of uh, people did 
exactly the same trip as I did, since mm-hmm. a, lot of, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of them came from directly from Beijing. <laughs> I, wow. I did yeah. meet a lot of um, people that I wouldn't have expected to meet at, at the Everything EOS event more so. They were at the B1 June event. I was just kind of in a different place. But at, right. at the Everything EOS, I talked to a lot more people, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. We, we had the so meeting, cool. by the way, with, uh, with the EOS studio here there in Beijing. They also did the same plane as I did to, to DC. So nice. I, we, I, I we took the same flight. Studio. I think that's one right. of the, the best projects that's re- really going to push the developer ecosystem forward I mean, right right we have our um eosio developer courses by peter k who's also a partner big shout out to pete mm. shout out to pete <laughs> and we we like none of the um block one documentation includes eos studio because they uh are hesitant to promote any third party because mm. they yeah. have that liability of the, that third party yeah. but as soon as um dan like tweeted something about mm. EOS Studio being a cool tool. We were like, yes, because we wanted to include it anyway, but we didn't want to include something in these tutorials we're going to spend so much time on and then have something else come out or if B1 was working on something. So that's, mm. I, I, I like the EOS Studio team as, I guess, uh, my plug here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're hosting a lot of meetups, by the way. Um, I think uh, all over China, including Hong Kong, by the way. And uh, yeah, since since we're going, we're actually thinking of uh, more expansion to to China to have more exposure to local community. Uh, we are going to to participate in in these meetups and maybe with US Studio as well. So mm-hmm. that's one one of the high priorities for us. So Josh, you being um, you know international man of counsel. What's uh, I like that. I'm gonna use that. <laughs> what's um, what are your thoughts on kind of how the regulatory comes into play in China? Because yeah. I know the media gives you mixed messages, and mm. you can't trust the media there mm. or here. So what's you know what? How does it on the inside? What's it look like? It, well, I mean, we hear a lot of hyperbole here about China and regulation, and I think really I boil it down to to two things. One is uh, the regulators and the authorities in China are listening. They're listening and they're learning. And secondly, engagement. They're engaging. And what I mean by that is they're sitting at tables with the right stakeholders going, what do you do? How are you doing it? How can we understand it? And how can we support you? So they're supporting us already, but of course, they're yet to come up with this framework, which kind of gives people carte blanche to do what they're already doing in an open and overt way. So the regulators are very engaged in in China at the moment because they see this arms race that's taking place all over the world to attract all these various, you know, whether it's DeFi businesses or just blockchain technology or crypto exchanges, whatever it is, there's an arms race to capture that business within your jurisdiction. It's very sexy. It's very new. You know, people people love these stories, right? So all of these jurisdictions are trying to capture those businesses. We've got London competing. The US is already one of the hubs. All of Europe is trying to grab that business by the horns. So China see that and they know they have to do something about it. So it's a positive message in that they are actively engaging with the right people. But I think it's going to be a little bit more time before we get to a place where there's actual clarity. Um, and that that's to be expected, really. It's a big country with a lot of complicated um, and domestic setups, whether it's their payment system, whether it's their capital controls or their banking. It requires a, a well drawn out well thought out methodical plan before mm-hmm. it really takes it to the next level i think um it's pretty uh, optimistic sentiment there yeah. it is mm. it is and i think we hear we hear, we hear too much noise we hear too much fud, fud. yeah and mm. it's very easy to concentrate on the fud but the unsung success stories don't get out often enough that's what we're doing here that's what we're doing exactly <laughs> things are gonna be okay everyone yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly calm down exactly. everything's fine so yeah. um 
why? I mean, there's probably a lot of reasons you're in China. Um, so I guess this would be a good point to just introduce what equilibrium is. I, I think at yeah. the beginning I made an assumption that people knew, and I'm, I'm sure there's people who don't. Why don't you explain what equilibrium is, mm. what you guys do, and then I'll get into um, some of the things that I think were valuable with your China trip. Mm. Yeah. So um, as I said, I actually uh, was. Uh, doing Changeoy and have uh, a lot of experience with exchanging crypto assets, and we also feel lacking of, uh, you know, some reliable um, stablecoin which is uh, highly transactable and trans- transparent by its nature. Uh, for, for sure, uh, we, we saw some particular particular projects rolled out to other chains like to Ether, for instance, which has uh, which is actually a decentralized stablecoin, and uh, it is proven model. Uh, but it it, it feel it still has uh, certain drawbacks. Uh, for instance, uh, the cost of uh, ether transactions is is so high, right? And uh, the the capacity of network is not is not too too impressive as uh, US, for instance. Uh, so we actually saw the gap uh, in, in, for 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 US community and for markets overall. Uh, and we decided to to fill this gap with uh, with um, reliable re- reliable solution uh, in terms of decentralized stablecoins, uh, and th- th- that's why we're building up um, equilibrium the equilibrium framework. So, mo- sorry, most of the time when people hear about stablecoins, a lot of, a lot of people that haven't dug deep into it enough, the only one they really hear of is like the te- like the um, actual um, pegged to the like the. What's what's the definition for like a tether like the like a like a fiat collateralized peg? Yeah, yeah. so mm, it's yeah. basically a, a stable coin collateralized by something else that doesn't exist, right. <laughs> like a USDT. Mm, like, yeah. what, it's fiat money, and most people hear of tether uh, on mm. EOS. Some people have heard of Carbon. Yeah, um, but the, what you guys do is different. You guys are more similar, and I know there's a lot of differences. We'll get into them to like a Maker DAO. You are a collateral backed stable coin. Right. So <clears throat> could you explain to the people who don't really understand collateralized mm. anything and it just mm. explain how a collateral collateral backed stablecoin is generated mm. in the first mm. place right right so so basically there, there are mm, several approaches in uh, building stablecoins uh, the, the most general one is to simply have some physical assets uh, like physical dollars sitting on some accounts and uh, you, you you simply issue tokens one to one backed uh, by USD. Right. So there's the, the approach of Tether, of TrueUSD, of uh, USDC by Coinbase, uh, a lot of projects on the market doing that. And it's a kind of mainstream for now. Yeah. Uh, but uh, th- th- there, there are a lot of obvious drawbacks for this model. Uh, the, 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 the most obvious one is, uh, uh, that this 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 model uh, actually relies on some centralized infrastructure, uh, which can which actually, you know, it it, it can be um, treated by uh, local authorities, right? So the I, I'm 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 not I would not be so sure of uh, really kind of uh, prime trust, for instance, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, uh, highly regulated, etc. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. right. I, I I think. The, without naming names, we can um, we can say that there are some stablecoins out there, and people don't know this, that are fiat-backed, one-to-one, tethered and pegged to the dollar, that if they choose, for whatever reason, they can go on the blockchain and go, oh, that's, uh, that's Alex's uh, X asset. Mm-hmm. We're freezing it. 
and then we're mm. deleting it. Thanks very much. Goodbye. Mm. And you get that, you know, mm. that whole the theme of concentrated um, counterparty risk is not just the fact that it's financial, i.e. it sits within one entity that may or may not exist tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's a counterparty risk to the way that they treat your assets as well. So it's much more um, nuanced than just, hey, they have your cash. You've got to look at them and think whether you're comfortable trusting them having your cash. It's more than that. Do mm. you trust them to safeguard your mm. assets as so well? So I'm not exactly sure which one you're referring to, but so... With something like Tether, there's always the the auditability and transparency that is lacking is because I can't see their bank accounts. Right, and right. The sure. audits are all even, – even if the audits were on schedule, mm. you're still trusting the audit. Indeed. So, mm. um, but then there's other stable coins that are regulated in the U.S. Uh, I'm not sure. Like the Gemini coin, the Coinbase coin, mm-hmm. and those ones, they're they're on a blockchain, and but they're not completely decentralized. And I, I think those might be similar to, to what you're referring to is where – even though you think you own these coins, like there is a central entity that could shut them down or freeze them. Correct. Yeah. Mm, on, yeah. I, I, it's probably all of them if they are all approved in the U.S. Sure. Because it's mm. kind of like a back door. Mm. So w- with something like collateral backed stable coins, everything's on the blockchain. It's locked into a smart contract with with, with multi sigs. We'll get into in a little bit. Yeah. Um, and you could see how much collateral is in the account, and you could see how many tethered dollars are, have been printed. Yeah. Right. And right. Yeah. You, it's always available for everyone to see. I think that's the biggest yeah. difference. And, and you can yeah, see yeah, the yeah, thought yeah. process as well. Yeah, so yeah, there's yeah, no bank involved. Yeah, definitely. It's completely outside of the yeah. banking system. So one, mm. like with, with the Coinbase dollars, Gemini dollars, and then the tether USDT, um, you still have a centralized entity in there. There's still yeah. a bank holding right. the dollars. Absolutely. Right, At the end right. of the day, like they're holding the dollars. And if they don't want to give them to whoever the uh, the blockchain company is, then they could do that. Yeah. Right, right. And it, it, moreover, I will, I'll give you an example. Uh, everyone remembers that uh, a couple of months ago, or maybe three months ago or so, uh, it stated on the website that uh, now, <laughs> s- still, still, yeah, so since this moment, uh, not only by dollars backed our stable coin, but, but, but other, with, with, also with, with the securities. Mm-hmm. What are these securities? <laughs> How are they evaluated? Wait a now. I think that's yeah. the coolest part uh, and the biggest differentiate, differentiator between what Equilibrium is doing compared to the project it's most often compared to, and that's MakerDAO. Mm. So with EOS tokens, they have a utility, and that utility is resources and governance. Right. So with something like MakerDAO, you, you, you lock your Ethereum into a contract and you print DAI. You print your, your tethers, basically, mm. your, your dollar peg, or not dollar peg, but your, your collateral backed stable coins. You generate them from your Ether. Your Ether is locked up and it's not doing any work for it. It's mm. not doing any work for anyone because all it's good for is gas and transactions. Yeah. Whereas on EOS, you, you do the same thing. You lock your EOS into a smart contract. EOS DTs are generated, which yeah. are. Basically, they're pegged one dollar, so you could use them to spend. Right, uh, you could use them to trade. Um, but while those EOS tokens are locked into this contract, this is the most interesting part to me: is that mm-hmm. they could vote for block producers, mm-hmm. which you have no voting rights on Ethereum; it's all hash power. Mm. And then you could also generate income from those tokens that are locked up, and they're almost like recollateralizing themselves over time mm. uh, through fees through something like the Rex, mm. which, which over right. a long period of time. The APR on the Rex, uh, like coins will, will go, go up because yeah. more yeah. people are using the, the, right, the renting right. the bandwidth. Yeah. 
So and here I also can give you example that uh, currently we are uh, also mm, developing the market making solution for for the framework which will uh, actually uh, support uh, this the uh, the secondary markets and uh, we 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 actually need a lot of resources for uh, within within US network for doing that and we're actually utilizing uh, rex for now and uh, we uh, depo- we have deposited to rex like uh, 0.25 us against resources for 1000 us us uh, against this uh this deposit so mm-hmm. it's tr- mm-hmm. tr- tremendous tremendous multiplicator right yeah yeah and and you know the the feedback we got from the community when we announced that we were using rex within the mm-hmm. framework was overwhelmingly positive so i think that that call uh, by alex and the dev team was a really positive development for us because it almost further enhanced all of the various really interesting and powerful tools that the framework can give its users mm-hmm. So I, I keep comparing to MakerDAO. Um, MakerDAO has the Maker token and yeah. then the DAI stablecoin. You guys also have two coins within your system. Mm-hmm. The EOSDT is the equivalent of, of a dollar mm-hmm. uh, on chain, but yeah. then you also have the NUT token. So right. you kind of want to explain nut. <laughs> the NUT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're nuts. Uh, yeah. yeah, people have uh, have nuts. <laughs> people have to have nuts if you want to go any further. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I guess explain. The utility of both. Well, the dollar is easy to explain. Yeah, right, to use right, it right, right, right. What's the utility of of the nut token? I, I, <clears throat> I know you guys are, um, I guess, rolling out some of the mm. governance stuff here soon too. So you kind of want to talk about that? Yeah. So uh, to 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 before before diving to details, uh, I would say that we have done a lot of work uh, for providing more utility to uh, native utility token called nuts. Uh, and actually, for now, it's used uh, both as internal currency for the framework and the governance token. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if, if it comes to uh, the internal currency, uh, nuts can be submitted for, by users for covering some uh, fees uh, uh, accrued by the framework for generated USD stablecoins. And uh, actually, we uh, enable uh, arbitrators who are involved in Liquida- liquidation process on the framework uh, to submit nuts in order to get an access to liquidated collateral at a discount, right? So it's it's uh, it's a huge difference, by the way, to Maker since mm-hmm. uh, MKR token is not used to, for doing that. Yeah. So I mean, you've been in the, the blockchain space for long enough, especially like with Shinjali, you were working with all all different blockchains. Mm. Um, what kind of led you to EOS? Like out of all of them. Um. It's a good question. Good question. I think when you see, uh, and, and I'm just speaking from my my personal experience, when you have exposure to all of the various protocols and blockchains, you think, you know, they all have their pros and cons, and some are suitable for certain things and others aren't. Mm-hmm. And I, from a an exchange perspective, have always looked at what it means to have a stable coin, what's the utility, how does it work best, you know, whether it's the regulation, whether it's the operational side. And the one thing that stood out to me about EOS was just the the ease of transaction, how quick it is, mm. how cheap it is. You can do mm. things on EOS that you simply cannot do on, on Ethereum. And one mm. great example, we, which we were talking about earlier, is, is the price oracle mm. framework. Maybe you want to Mention yeah. that in a bit more detail. Yeah, definitely, definitely. We 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 got a price feed on smart contracts, and um, we we have literally a real time price feed. 
we can't do that on ether it it would cost a lot the amount of gas yeah yeah be, because because of cost of transactions mm. uh, I, I give you another example uh, we we actually mm, have the decentralized application for generating USD obviously and uh, this uh, application has no backend at all so it's just the front end side mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the smart contracts and we I was really impressed when we launched that and when you do uh, the transaction, you broadcast transaction from the front end, uh, signed by your mm, private keys with a, with a private key. And, uh, you see the results of transaction immediately w- within a half a second. Mm-hmm. This really impresses. Yeah. So you mentioned a price oracles. I, I guess I w- would be remiss if I didn't bring this up. Uh, mm. who, who are, um, What's your approach to the oracles mm. and uh, what services are you using to, to get your price feeds into your smart contracts? Yeah, so the, the approach for uh, price oracles is pretty straightforward. Uh, we are utilizing uh, the Oracle Oracle service provider. Uh, they're our, I would say, general partners, uh, Arclice. Uh, now they call it Provable. Uh, so they, they provide the, uh, the trust line between, uh, the smart contracts and the external source of market data mm-hmm. so that we can, uh, actually fetch the prices from whatever we want. Uh, currently we are utilizing, uh, crypto compare for doing that. So we get the aggregated price, uh, of, uh, US to USD, uh, pair. Uh, uh, but in further, we are going to build up some medianizer on chain medianizer so that we can get prices directly from exchanges like 10 or 15 and, uh, uh, build, build the median for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, Another important thing that we are going to to diversify our Oracle Oracle um, Oracle services on for for our smart contracts, and now we're in the process of integration of DSPs uh, uh, within uh, the dev network, network yeah. right? Yeah. So 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 that, that, that that's uh, one of of the goals for us uh, to 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 do that. Yeah, I mean, we're we're in like a group chat together. You got our devs are working with your devs. Um, right. You, you mentioned some of the DSPs have been very helpful uh, as well earlier uh, before we started recording. Uh, is there any DSPs you want to kind of call out that have been mm. like, extremely helpful with getting you integrated into DAP network services? Yeah. F- firstly, I should admit that we're really impressed uh, with the work of of the community, yeah. with with the unity of the community ar- around US and what's happening in the space in terms of DSPs and different other services and DAPs. Uh, so we, 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 we're in talks with a lot of projects from the space in terms of integrations and partnerships. And, uh, also, uh, I can highlight here Diffuse, for example. We're working with them on, uh, integration their solution for history plugins, uh, and, uh, some, some, some other stuff for our backends. Uh, it's by the way very, very, very useful. Uh, very, very helpful in terms of um, rolling out some, some, something from on backend side because you don't need to to build up something on backend. You can just utilize their services. Yeah. So, whenever you're not working on your own project, like, and you're just kind of seeing like what everyone else is doing, are there any other projects like completely not even competitors of yours or anything that you're just kind of impressed with what they're doing like, kind of how i talked about eos studio earlier like they really mm. impress me mm. is there anything else out there that is caught your eye recently uh we, we really really like what uh uh liquid apps are doing yeah yeah so, oh, okay. so yeah <laughs> did you set that up no <laughs> <laughs> wow. right. no no i mean i mean it may, makes a lot of sense yeah yeah um 
So what else? Icon. Icon are doing a great job, yep. yeah, making the blockchain accessible. Um, and I think that's really one of the key themes that we see when we go out into the, the non-blockchain world, should mm. we call it. We talk about what we do and they say, but how would that apply in the real world? Mm. And I don't want to think about private keys. I don't want to think about what protocol to use or whether mm. it's interoperable with other, you know, protocols. Making it easy. And those guys have done a really great job mm. of that. Making it easy to use easy to set up um, mm. is, you know, it's a very, very important tool to broaden mm-hmm. the application of blockchain technology in other areas. So, um, yeah, they've, they've been very impressive. Um, who else have we met on our travels? Sense? Yeah, Sense. Sense are pretty sense. cool. Yeah. Sense, sense make a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah they do. Sense <laughs> make a lot of sense. That should be their catch. catch line, yeah. yeah. So uh, we talked to you a little bit about, like, the regulatory uh, environment in China, mm. uh, but you guys had a note before the show about how you're seeking some legal opinion in the yeah. U.S. now that's going to mm. be published soon. Absolutely, and I think the theme of regulation is is not the most important, but one of the most important themes within building a successful stablecoin framework. Because you know, stablecoin framework simply cannot get off the ground, let alone be utilized if there is any real concern about the regulatory status. So. Stepping back a little bit, over the last year or so, I've I've spent a lot of time analysing from a legal perspective the regulatory status on various jurisdictions for fiat-backed stablecoins, um, whether that can be Gemini Dollar or whether that's Tether or whatever it may be. The universal conclusion is it is a minefield of regulatory issues in that if you fiat-back something, suddenly it becomes some kind of instrument, whether that is electronic money, whether that is a, a fiat collateralized instrument. It can be anything in various jurisdictions. So suddenly you're hitting this minefield of cross-jurisdictional regulatory arbitrage that you can't win. So that is a theme I, I, I'm i very well versed in, and I thought, wow, there's got to be a better way to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen, obviously, MakerDAO come out um, and and do a, a pretty decent job at kind of assuaging these concerns, um, and I think it's all it's all in the kind of the delivery. It's all in the the documentation and building things in the right way. Um, so, as part of this process, when we were building the equilibrium framework, we wanted to build it with regulatory certainty. The importance of that is at all levels. It's mm-hmm. at use cases. So, if we say to a payment provider, incorporate EOSDT as part of your payment service. They've got to be comfortable that that's not a financial instrument of any kind or it's not a security, mm-hmm. as an example. Getting them on an exchange and traded, exchanges don't want to onboard securities to be traded. They simply can't. So you've got to be able to convince them that it is a vanilla, simple crypto asset. Mm-hmm. Um, even your, your average person just holding it in their wallet, there's a lot of media fud about, oh, is, is this asset a security? Yeah. So your mom and pop are thinking, Gee, do I want to hold a security in uh in my wallet. No, they don't. So for us, it was so important building this framework in the right way. And, you know, we took a lot of time going through the, the kind of framework itself from the, all the technical aspects, all the technical aspects, all of the documentation, how it all interlinks and feeds, what our story is. We conveyed that to council. We work quite closely with them to kind of get to a place where they actually can understand this quite complex um, technical framework. And we were very pleased to, 
get a good result. So we're not going to go into any more detail as to the actual um, opinion itself. We're yet to release that, um, but it is extremely positive. Uh, it, it hits all the right tones. It's, of course, it's not a security in any way, shape or form. That for us is the key because that broadens our ability to take these assets to the right places. Um, so we've worked long and hard on that. And I think we're quite pleased that that, um, you know, that, that has borne fruit in the right way. Um, and that, we see a lot of projects doing it the wrong way around. They build their product, then they go to their lawyers. Mm-hmm. Actually, you've got to be working with your lawyers while it's you build kind the project. Of like, so, mm. I mean, Facebook has a terrible reputation now, mm. but whenever they're growing, their motto is move fast and break things. And that is the absolute opposite way to, to go about things in, in today's yeah. regulatory climate. Yeah. So you guys are like in the weeds with decentralized finance. So yeah. DeFi is like what everyone talks about. Like what is the future of DeFi from you guys' perspectives? Uh, mm. Where does equilibrium fit into that? Mm. And what um, – Let's just go with that. How about that? Yeah. I'll just not look too heavy. It's such we'll a big, uh, it's such a broad topic to even talk about. Mm. So there's so many things we can cover. Um, at a base level, uh, maybe putting my, um, you know, my hopeful hat on, uh, equilibrium, we believe will be a framework that will not just, um, be pegged to the dollar. It may be pegged to other assets at some point in the future. So really we're offering something that isn't just suited to people that want an asset that's denominated in dollars, it can be in their local currency. And that as a base fundamental can be Mm. a layer that can build on so many different applications, whether it's in the payment space, which is booming right now, whether it's in the micro app space, the DAP space, where it can be an internal currency that can be used for game developers. All of these areas, I think we see the equilibrium framework really being a launch pad into all these different verticals. And there are so many conversations we've had over the last few days where, you know, people have said, wow, we want to integrate you into our wallet. We want to integrate you into our payment network. And that for us is just the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is, that is very much within the DeFi um, narrative. Um, Mm. And we think it's even going to get bigger and bigger. Yeah. And I would say that a lot of uh, more concepts uh, arriving, arriving at the space, um, from lending perspective, uh, from 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 different perspective of uh, DeFi, and uh, I should to make a little a little statement here. Uh, so we we are actually in terms of equilibrium, uh, we're launching uh, the equilibrium lab uh, to to make things happen. So it would be our R and D division uh, to pick some interesting concepts and to, to make, uh, some development, uh, and research and development, uh, on that. I, I think that was interesting. We kind of briefly talked about that, but the name of it. So did you come up with that name before EOSIO labs came out with their name for their R and D division? <laughs> it, it was, easy, I mean, it was easy. Name. It was easy, easy, easy choice. Easy yeah. Choice. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of R and D labs in any industry. Equal, equal labs, labs, equal lab, equal yeah. lab. Yeah. 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 So, I guess we could spill the beans. You guys first told me about an hour ago of what the first research you guys are pouring money into to, to mm. research and model a mm. best practice around someone else's theory on the best way to do a stable coin. Right, right. right. So currently we are definitely working on something something interesting and something uh, very relevant to, to US community. And this is uh, the uh, concept of uh, Bancor uh, backed stablecoin uh, proposed by Daniel Larimer. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
so we, we're doing uh, research uh, on that uh, because we, we, we think that actually block one uh, is not going to do something uh, themselves on the top of this, uh, of this concept, mm-hmm. right? So they, they're actually expecting the community to take a lead on that and to, to develop something, something uh, on, on the top of, mm-hmm. uh, of the concept proposed by Daniel. What, what he's referring to is uh, Dan Larimer, I'm looking at the date, April 27th, released a blog post that he's been teasing for a really long time titled yeah. a high liquidity right. price peg token algorithm. Mm. And it had some differences from how you guys were approaching the situation. Yeah, yeah. And it, rather it, than ignoring someone who you kind of respect and mm. is kind of well-known in the EOS space. Yeah, it, it's, interest, it, it's interesting that uh, Daniel um, – Daniel has joined our Telegram group, by the way. Uh, it, it, it's a Telegram of, uh, of Equilibrium. And uh, he, he asked a lot of questions regarding the projects. And eventually, he shared uh, this article. And it was exactly that date when, when it was re- uh, initially released. Mm-hmm. So he, he shared the link to that to, to our group. That kind of, maybe he's trying to lead you towards something I, a little bit. I, I, yeah, I, but mm. apparently, apparently. <laughs> mm. that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Because mm. it's like he's just kind of like... Given some ideas. Like yeah. Ideas are free. If he knows his hands are tight, he's probably very busy. Mm. Right. So if he wanted to do it, like he, he might not have. I mean, it seems like they have unlimited resources, but you could still only move so fast. Sure. So yeah. when you first saw that, what features in it were you were like? That's actually a really good idea. We want to mm. look into it further. Mm. And then from that point until you decided to launch uh, Equilibrium Labs, mm. um, like. What impressed you the most, and what is your main focus with the labs? I guess, like, what's the process going to be like? How do, how do you start to research? Who how big mm. is the team? Like, mm. what exactly are they doing as part of this R and D? Mm. So the, the the team currently has, um, I would say, around twelve developers. Uh, so we we have very experienced guys uh, on the team doing research and obviously the development uh, in terms of uh, Equilabs. Um, the concept of Daniel uh, is, uh, I would say, very different to, to the approach of USDT. Uh, but w- w- what would be the in common uh, between these projects? Uh, uh, they would be nuts. So we actually we actually are now figuring out how to 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 apply nuts to to this concept as well. So it would it would be uh, the um, kind of connected infrastructure. Uh, and yeah, so cu- currently we're, we're working on the series of, uh, articles which will be revealed, uh, in, in the upcoming, uh, weeks, uh, and so the, we, we can actually present the results of our, our research and, and development as well. So the, all, all the development of this concept would be open source. And if, um, someone, someone from the community wants to approach us uh, with their ideas or feedbacks, uh, they're very welcome. Um, you mentioned something earlier. So you said other currencies. Mm. So I guess if you could uh, create a peg, a collateralized backed pegged token to the dollar, that there wouldn't really be. What's slowing you down from switching to like a euro, for example? Is it regulatory, or is it just trying to do something really good first and then yeah. expanding? That that that's you hit the nail on the head. Doing something really good first, getting the product out there, getting it proven to the community that mm. it works. You know, feedback collection has been one of the most important bits of this mm-hmm. process so part of what we've been doing and you know the white paper's not out yet mm-hmm. and there's a reason for that because what we've been saying over the last couple of months is we want you based on the information we've given you so far to come back to us with feedback mm-hmm. so we've been collecting all the feedback and incorporating that into our roadmap so part of that is of course what does phase two phase three look like 
And if we can do it with dollars, it's a logical, you know, jump, hop mm -hmm. to think that we can probably do it with other currencies. And that's where the utility of the equilibrium framework really broadens. Mm -hmm. Once we've proven ourselves with our first base project, I think, you know, we want to be quite ambitious in terms of what other uh, utility we can bring to other currencies. I think there's a lot of utility for having more than one currency. Right. And I think Evan could actually speak about that because we're working on something. Well, yeah. So it's, it's really funny relative to this. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because you, you mentioned earlier, you were like, all these people are coming up to us and want to work with us and want to integrate with us. And then mm -hmm. you were talking about payments and then you're talking about multi-currency. And I'm like, hmm, I got a lot to talk to them about after the show, actually. We work with a client right now who we're trying to do basically borderless payments. Um Mm. essentially batching payments from one person and then distributing it to a group of people that might be in, in several different countries. Mm -hmm. And um, right now doing it through sort of the, the bank method, um, trying to get away from that. Mm. And it's, it's a, it actually makes me curious. And I wanted to ask you a question. Um, do you guys ever see sort of like um, having some sort of off ramp back into fiat from these these multinational mm, currencies absolutely. and that's because that's always the hardest yeah, part they, they, good, good is question. figuring that yeah. out so what's yeah. what do you guys see that that roadmap mm. looking mm. like no it's a great question and you know part of what we're building has to have an on and an off ramp um, and we recognize that and every time we have a discussion with someone in the payment space as to a potential practical solution that we can bring them we have to have an off ramp for them um, so at the moment, what we're going to be probably doing is creating very strong relationships with OTC desks. And those OTC desks will be able to be a pretty seamless off-ramp for EUSDT holders, as one example. They will give you dollars into your bank account if you give them your EUSDT. Avoid the banks at any cost. I yeah. love these guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. If anyone's going to get a fee, it's going to be the OTC guys. Yeah. Well, look, it's, it's, it's all about making it easy for the user, right? And these guys do a great job at making, you know, the, the flip between different assets seamless mm -hmm. and cheap. So we're working with, and we'll, we'll get into that probably later in the month. We'll, we'll reveal who we're working with, but we're working with some really great OTC uh, desk to, to kind of build out a seamless solution for an off-ramp really so going from your 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 fiat um pegged asset mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. cash and on the other way as well it's really important that they can get mm -hmm. into the system as well right um further down the line we might have some some more mature um solutions that that might do that as well it really depends on the use case there might be something specific to to certain industries that might be useful you know collaborating with a payment provider mm. they're very simple on and off ramps already built there um, we're speaking to people that are payment producers that have their own debit cards so there are all these kind of different variations on utility that we're exploring mm. maybe people just want to be able to spend their dollar value on their debit card and if they want to, so be it. Why there, not? There's several, I mean, not in the United States, of course, mm. but uh, we saw Coinbase uh, launched in, I know, in the UK. Yeah. And there, there have been other companies that have tried this before, and I think they're all working on it. Um, yeah. But with, with that, the ideal situation, we talked about like the future of DeFi. And the future of DeFi is you never have to have an on-ramp because you just transact. If I send you, if I buy your phone off of you for mm. 500 EOS DT, 
I give you uh, 500 USDT, you give me your phone. Yeah. And then you just spend those USDT yeah. for, you, if it's online transactions, let's say you want to buy an ebook, mm. he sells ebooks. Yeah. You mm. give him 10 USDT and he just holds it because it, it's like a dollar. Like what, what's it matter where it's, it's just a store value. It's yeah. just a, a unit of account of how yeah. much value you have. Absolutely. Right. Uh, right. It's not yeah. volatile. It's, a, it's pegged to a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. yeah. And being able to spend this asset at some point we think is really important. So, what that looks like, we don't know yet. But and skyrocketing sky rocket, speed of transactions makes make a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that, so that, that's like the granddaddy of it. But like until we get there, you have to have th- that debit card's nice go between because mm. then you could spend it at the grocery store where they don't right. take crypto yet. Right. But then eventually, it, like why why go into fiat? <laughs> like there, there mm. will be a time. Mm. And like what are what are you guys thoughts on like a time frame on that? Like so like. We're going to have the debit cards soon. It's already available in a Absolutely. lot of countries. Right. Um, I know Gemini um, at, at Consensus, they're launching that Spedin wallet. Mm. Uh, w- mm-hmm. It transacts. Gemini coin or whatever their stable coins called is part of that. You could have that. So basically, Gemini is becoming a bank and so is Coinbase with their debit card. They're basically just using their stable coin as their fiat reserve, essentially, and mm. just avoiding banks completely on mm. that. Mm. And the swap happens at the time of the transaction because right. they have to pay mm. the grocery store, the, yeah. the store, whoever they're transacting with. But um, it, what is the timeline whenever the, the grocery store just will take any stable coin because it's like, this is, this is fine. This is exactly what I need. It's $1. Yeah. And it doesn't matter yeah. whose it is as long as they're all like, might have a basket of ones we really trust. Yes. But we just hold it. It's a great question. And I think the day will come when one, uh, one brave company comes up with a, a almost asset agnostic system, which allows you to, whether it's with a card, whether it's with your phone or a QR code, even you are able to pay in whatever asset and they receive a dollar value for it. Mm-hmm. That I think will be super, super powerful. And in China, they do have similar variances on that kind of model. Mm-hmm. That will be game changing. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's not like there's not incentives for merchants right now yeah. to get away from that old system. I yeah. mean, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but the, the whole taking a credit card right now, you're going to take a, th- three to four percent haircut right. off of right. everything exactly mm. and there there's a little bit of interest infrastructure being built um like with uh what is jack dorsey's square square, square. well so square's gone full crypto yeah crypto friendly so mm. if you think well what does square do why are they going crypto friendly what would that mean it could mean just that that square are giving their merchants the ability mm. to accept mm-hmm. crypto <clears throat> but get the dollar value from it and right. if that's the case, because they're very, very guarded with their information they've given, if that's the case, it's a game changer. Yeah. It's huge. And and you can charge, I mean, pretty much anything under 3% and you're, and you're saving them money, you're making Absolutely. money. Imagine, mm. I, I actually wrote an article and I made this prediction. I said, by 2026, we'll see it. Mm. Um, I don't know. It's kind of just an arbitrary number I threw mm. out there, but... Uh, and and I was just looking at the volume of like a Kroger or a large uh, chain grocery store in the U.S. Mm. Even if you just took one percent, it would save them billions of dollars. Right. And so right. there's there's incentive there for it. Yeah. Uh, it's just you got to get over these old systems, the networks, the processors. They don't they don't want to die. And if anyone can do it, I think. Square are pretty well placed to do it. The the hardware infrastructure is there, though. The fact that you can go to most cash registers and use Apple Pay, Mm. that's the hardware component. It's a software upgrade away. Mm. And the way that the Spedin app works with um, Gemini Mm. is it creates a barcode that the cash register just sees as a gift card. 
So it transacts right. as if it's a gift card. Okay. And if you think about what gift cards and like airline miles are, those are like points or like they're like the original cryptos. They're yeah. just like centralized on someone's mm. stored in a database. Mm. But I, I think it's going to be really cool whenever you just get rid of the banks. I, I honestly think 50-year mm. f- timeline, you, if you have a kid that's born 50 yeah. years mm. from now, they will not know what a physical bank is. Mm. Like there, the, if there is a physical bank, it will have a very small – like use case compared to what it is today. Mm-hmm. Like you, you could, if you could do everything without that, then then like it's just kind of a rent sinking middleman at the end of the day. <clears throat> right. Yeah, but, but but yeah, but if it, if it comes to crypto, uh, like for, from from my standpoint, uh, the physical uh, off chain infrastructure is still complex, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's cool, by the way, that uh, Block One announced uh, UBK, UBK in uh, on on their announcement yeah. on on June first. So it is the kind of. For, for EOS space, it's uh, the first step to more uh, convenient off-chain infrastructure for users. Mm-hmm. Mm. What do you guys think about the Facebook doing a stablecoin? Like, what, <sighs> what, 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 what? I don't understand. You can't that. deny the value, though, of that mass yeah, adoption that, that's yeah. going to come right off the bat. Yeah, I mean, they are. if anyone is well-placed to do it, they are, just by virtue of how many messenger users mm-hmm. they have. And speaking as someone who deleted their actually delete is the wrong word you can't frozen and suspended their facebook app um or profile even um i don't know i think if anyone can do it they can but they're probably going to release the most vanilla use case possible in a very narrow restricted set of countries Mm -hmm. because unless they're going to build something magical that is crypto backed that avoids a lot of regulation Mm -hmm which I don't think they will because I don't think they'll be allowed to. I think it will be a basket of fiat collateral is probably where they'll end up being. That in itself has regulatory implications in each jurisdiction that Facebook will want to operate. They're Mm. going to have to set up a licensed institution in Europe, Mm. similar one in the US. Latin America is a whole other kettle of fish. So it's going to be a long drawn out process for them to do it. Mm. If they get it right, they're onto an absolute winner. But at the end of the day, all they have is, a stable coin. Yeah. And you guys, there, there's dozens of stable coins, mm. you guys being one of them. You guys don't have to go country by country necessarily. Yeah. If you're doing on and off ramps, you will. But for, for as it stands today, where it's just transacted digitally, sure. you don't have to do that. No. Um, right. And to tie this back into the EOS with voice, mm. people are going to be earning voice tokens and transacting in voice tokens, but people still think dollars in their head. Mm. Um, so one of the things you said is, Step one's probably other currencies, mm. euro maybe. Um, but then you have the everything's collateral backed with EOS right now. Mm. So with the right amount of liquidity, anything could be used as collateral. Um, yep. We always hear tokenize everything. You can tokenize your house, your car. Eventually there will be a time where everything's tokenized like that. And uh, with, I'm, I'm sure that it has a lot to do with liquidity. You have to be able to sell it. Mm. But if you had a tokenized asset, you could cla- you could technically collateralize it but within your system you have to probably stick to the biggest ones if voice grows into what people hope it is people want to use those voice tokens for dollars Mm. um right now we don't know a lot about the utility of a voice token it gives attention but Mm. there might be other incentives that make you want to hold it i I assume that there will be other otherwise it wouldn't make as much sense so Mm. if there if the voice token say on a long time let's say like five years from now Mm. Um, it gets some sort of adoption. There's millions of users. Um, 
and but there's a reason. I don't know what the incentive is to hold it mm-hmm. instead of just getting rid of it, unless you're holding it for the price to go up. But I think there will be more reasons to mm-hmm. hold it. Maybe a staking incentive. Mm-hmm. They they want to keep some sort of incentive involved with holding it, but they also need to transact in dollars. Um, there's an opportunity there to within your system over time to start accepting other collaterals. Right. It's not going to be voice token at first. I'm thinking something mm-hmm. bigger like a mm-hmm. Bitcoin or other assets. Mm-hmm. Um, how far is that in your roadmap? Is it something on your radar at all? And how much are you <clears> able to go into detail about mm-hmm. that? Good question. Yeah, great question. Great question. And definitely something will coming up in terms of um, cross-chain interoperability and uh, in terms of development of um, reliable framework on on probably other chains. Um so yeah, definitely we have something on the roadmap regarding that. So to see the bigger picture, yeah, and, and like we can't say it's like coming out on X date. It might not be started yet, but it's just like kind of on everyone's mind because mm. it's on our minds, and we're not even in your space necessarily. Mm. Um, there will be a time when any token, no matter what it's backed by or if it's backed by anything, with enough liquidity and, and the right set of circumstances, it'll be able to be collateralized into spendable money while mm-hmm. still owning that asset. Similar to how you can take a mortgage out on your house. Mm-hmm. That's the probably best way. If I want to spend $10,000 to re- redo Evan's bathroom here, mm-hmm. I have the value of this house. So it's basically just like generating stable coins off of your tokenized house and then spending those stable coins at Home Depot to, to buy some supplies to remodel my bathroom. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 And it could be done. It, that is that kind of the future here. Uh, probably uh, yes, yeah. but but yeah, yeah. I, I would also I would also highlight yeah, here that. So look, um, um, and, and other thoughts on that. Uh, that uh, you know, y- you always will have ceiling for uh, generating your stable coins uh, uh, against the some particular collateral, right? Because the collateral has some certain value. You you can't generate stable coins more than uh, the value of your of your house. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the house of US is huge, mm-hmm. uh, but there is still some ceiling and uh, the, the ceiling for USD supply currently is uh, $70 million. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so I, I guess the reason that other frameworks for decentralized stable coins are also going to embrace other assets, uh, from, from the markets is not only for, for user, users convenience, but also for increasing this ceiling for, for the total supply. Right. And, uh, the, the good approach for, from my perspective for that, uh, to that is to, to get more assets, uh, more liquid assets from, from other chains as well. Mm. Right. So that we can, uh, we can actually have, uh, uh, have higher ceiling for, yeah. for the total supply of stable coins. Yeah. So I, I think a good way to compare that, it's kind of like diversifying your portfolio. Let's mm-hmm. say you have gold backed dollars. We're, we're back in 1970 and earlier. Mm. So, you got the dollar-backed gold. And all you hold in your portfolio is mm. gold. Mm. But then the price of gold crashes. Mm. You, you have no hedge against that. Mm. So, I mean, mo- we know most cryptocurrencies follow Bitcoin, but that's probably step one before you can get to, to the like other tokenized assets that are actually backed by something mm-hmm. that isn't correlated, a non-correlated asset to the crypto market. And I think that that's just good for risk in general is having other things. But is the first step going to be other cryptocurrencies? You said other yeah. platforms. Possibly? It's, it's a natural segue. 
I yeah. think, um, because we understand the you know the risk mechanics within it, and mm. there's an immediate uh, use case there. I.e., as Alex said, raising the ceiling. So depending on the modeling, depending on the liquidity of the asset, um, and you know how how comfortable our dev team are taking that asset on mm. as the next one, um, there is certainly a place to broaden out the collateral types that are compatible within the framework yeah it's probably gonna be one at a time slowly sure. roll them out slowly get really good at it, roll yep. it out again exactly mm. yeah um I, I guess we did skip some things I, I meant to say it earlier but it was kind of off topic all this travel you guys aren't a block producer yourselves but there's this governance incentive so the nut token holders mm. so uh, let's backtrack there's a bunch of eos locked up in a smart contract right it's doing nothing right now but we know we could vote with them and we know we can rent mm. them out at rex Voting is on everyone's mind because everyone sees like the block producer is moving and we always just want more tokens to vote in general. Mm. So I think that's really cool that you have that perspective of East and West of you've met probably all of the major block producers and you kind of, and even though you're not the main holder of the nut token, it's distributed, Mm. you kind of could, if someone is really bad, I'm I'm sure you'd kind of speak out and be like, yeah, even if it's just in your Telegram channel, uh, you can kind of, point i guess the voting direction but the nut token holders at the end of the day are who decide uh the voting and it's not you guys it's distributed so how when is that going to start Mm. what percentage roughly uh, ballpark of the collateralized eos are you able to stake and vote with Mm. um and then yeah let's start start with the governance within that Mm. Mm. Yeah, so, so from a uh, development perspective, uh, the integration with Rex and voting for block producers is something on our roadmap. And actually, it's uh, our, I would say, summer plans. Uh, so the, the, the closest achievement in terms of that is uh, Rex integration, which is uh, coming up uh, within a uh, couple of weeks. Uh, so so, so uh, we will be able, actually, to stake, uh, I guess, all the U.S. collateral to Rex uh and um here i will also mention that uh the current amount of collateral is 2. Point, over 2.6 million us already and it it will be growing so it's uh, rather, rather with the profits earned from max i know the apr is not anything crazy but mm. if, especially if the value of mm. the us token went up i mean it's single digit percent it's right, like right. less than 2 i'm sure right. i know when block 1 bought it jumped yep. it a little bit mm. but with the rex profits even if they are one or two percent apr on the eos token, right right how is that distributed is it to the, is that the incentive for the nut token holders or is any of it um if, if i have eos staked into the contract i don't really benefit from that but i'm benefiting because ah. i have these liquid tethered dollars basically mm. what, what happens with the, 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 the risk combined approach so we uh basically are going to uh redistribute this uh the portion of this income uh, across uh, our community uh, among uh, the initial issuers of USD stablecoins, and another part, another portion of uh, these incomes uh, would be used to uh, to have uh, nuts from 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 the market, uh, which will uh, then get burned on our smart contracts. Mm. I think the last question, unless you have other ones. I think uh, I think decentralized decentralized uh, ownership of smart contracts is very important thing we we missed. That's exactly yeah, right. Yeah. Mm. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so we should even leave that in because that was exactly the question. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was He's segueing add. you on your own show. <laughs> yeah, <man>. basically. <laughs> is, so along with that, we're talking governance and you already asked yourself the question. So um, EOS New York put out a blog article a couple mm. months ago about 
decentralizing smart contracts so that hmm. whoever developed the smart contract and deployed it, if you want to truly decentralize it, you, you give people that aren't affiliated with your company and have no incentive of anything to, to hold the keys. And the way EOS New York proposed it was it would be on system layer, like base base contract on the EOSIO contract. And it would require 15 out of the 21 active block producers to make a change to a specific contract that opted into this. Mm-hmm. Um, that came out and you said, Colin Talks Crypto put out a video and kind of brought it to your attention. It's like, hey guys, mm-hmm. why aren't you guys doing this? Mm-hmm. Right. And our, our partner, uh, Peter Kay, when talking the differences between, <clears throat> not the differences necessarily, but just talking about collateral backed stable coins, he said, mm-hmm. I don't like ETH for a lot of things, but one thing is that you know the contract can't be changed because it's, mm. you, you you can't change a contract once it's deployed there. Whereas on EOS you can, mm. but you could decentralize it, and you right. guys have plans to do that in in the near term. It sounds like yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So uh, the obviously decentralization is a top priority for us, mm. and uh, we are we are going uh, to step this way uh, towards decentralization. Uh, so we, we have, um, we have the roadmap for, for, for doing that. And, uh, the, the first step would be, uh, establishing the multi-sig for ownership of our smart contracts, uh, so that we have, um, we have, uh, we will have some certain block producers on this multi-sig to make decisions on, uh, smart contracts updates. And now we, we are in talks of, uh, uh, on, on that with, uh, several of them, uh, including, uh, block producers from top 21. And also, we would like to to discuss uh, the collaboration on that, and maybe having on Multisig uh, Colin as well. Yeah. Cool. So, mm. so people often are like, it's either decentralized or not decentralized, but it's like a wide spectrum of it of how decentralized you are. If you have one key controlling a contract, that's absolutely not mm. decentralized at all. Right. But the more uh, accounts you add to that multi-sig, the more parties involved, mm-hmm. uh, the more decentralized it gets. How many parties – what is your goal for how many parties mm. you want on the multi-sig mm. that's going to control any change on these contracts mm. would require this many mm. people to agree on it? So we want to start off with a consensus of uh, maybe four of seven. Uh, but event, eventually, uh, we, we are assuming that the number of block producers who will join our multi-sig, uh, would be, would be increasing, uh, so that we have maybe, I don't know, 10, 15, whatever. So that, the, the, there's a plan. Yeah. I think there's no cap on it really, you know, where, where we see the utility of it, um, you know, following the ethos of it getting increasingly decentralized, mm-hmm. um, and having the input is hugely valuable for us. So why not? Mm. So what that yeah, and does, it make, it, it forces you, not, not that you weren't planning to be honest in the first place, but it forces you because there's no choice. If you want to make a change to the contract, Completely. you got to reach out to all 14, yeah. 10, 20 of yeah. these block producers or public entities like Colin Talks Crypto or another big proxy even. Right. Um, Some reputable uh, counterparties. You have yeah. to explain why you need to make this change, mm-hmm. what the change is. And if they're block producers, they probably have a lot of technical people that could just look at the differences you're trying to make into right. the contract. Right, right. If it, almost like an audit. Mm-hmm. And like they're yeah. not doing anything corrupt. So yeah, like for, 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 uh, for eyes. For yeah, eyes. For yeah. I check, yeah. yeah. And we so built like out that. this framework that, that we'll be working with them with um, under, which is really simple. It's like a cooperation. And they will get a bite-sized chunk summary as to what 
what the proposal is. Mm-hmm. They'll get the detailed analysis and even the code if they want. They go through the whole thing and they can vote as they see fit. So it's really handing the reins of power over to the multi-sig participants. That's really cool. Mm. It's probably all done in a private Telegram channel right now, isn't it? <laughs> That's how so much work gets done. It's yeah, 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 definitely. Like it, yeah. We're all virtual and we don't have like mm. a, a place to interact. It's yeah, so funny. Yeah. Yeah, to, yeah. Additionally, I, I should say that uh, we're also intending um, after after this old multi multi signature stuff, uh, we are going to build up um, the technical solution for uh, for updating the contracts through governance contracts. So, so, so it would be the the, the next step after multi signature. We, we get, I guess, it it will actually take 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 time from development perspective. Uh, but eventually the set code permissions would be, uh, w- we expect to, to be, uh, to be set, uh, to, uh, the governance contracts so the community would vote with nuts for, uh, the updates of the contracts. Cool. Yeah. What's your website and your, your telegram? Yeah. So, uh, we are actually in production since, uh, since April at, uh, usdt.com. So you can guys have uh, hands on experience there and uh, all the feedback will be appreciated from, from the community, from all of you. All right. So, and then you, why don't we, we, we gotta give you an outro. How can people find Evan Schindler? Um, you don't, I'll, I'll get in touch with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, very, very uh, mysterious. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> You're the business lead at uh, dappiness.io, man. Go to uh, dappiness.io or evan at dappiness.io. That's where you find us. You need smart contract dev. You're moving from ETH to EOS. We had a couple projects uh, in DC that are doing that. We'll be following up with them this week. So we're excited, man. All right, and I'll just close it out. You'll probably see me again in a couple of days with Rob Finch. So this is it. I'm Zach Goff. Everything is boom. 